This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Side of midnight. I'm superstar Frank Morano. I know this week the whole world was focused on the Fonnie Willis case and the Fonnie Willis hearing, and there's going to be uh, some something happening in that case today. We'll see where that goes. But ultimately, yesterday there was another hearing in Washington, which I think ultimately is a lot more important. Do you remember? A, I guess now it was a month or two ago where I was telling you about what happened in uh, w- with the Secretary of Defense going to the hospital for a relatively serious medical procedure and not telling anybody about it. I mean, I still can't believe it. I mean, I, I would think that I would hope anyway that the Secretary of Defense and the president would in the middle of three wars that we're involved in, three wars and counting, that they would communicate regularly enough that uh, Lloyd Austin's, or any defense secretary, but General Austin, including his sudden disappearance, would set off alarm bells in the West Wing. But apparently it didn't. I, I, I think it's crazy. The whole thing I still think is crazy. And I do think both parties, when they're in control of Congress, What they love to do is hold this endless string of hearings to torture the other party. They they both do it. I don't think this is one of these frivolous show trials. And usually I try to keep it a little light on Fridays, our last hour of the show. But this was so important that I think it's worth revisiting. And I was surprised that I was listening to a lot of other talk shows. And not just on this station, but a bunch of stations. And I didn't hear anybody mentioning this. And I think this is a a hearing that was important for the country. And honestly, I found the I I, I found the defense secretary's answers completely lacking. So he came under fire uh, from the House Republicans and they faulted the defense secretary, rightly so, for not blaming anyone for failing to notify the White House. This was a very contentious hearing of the House Armed Services Committee, and this was really the first public appearance on Capitol Hill that General Austin has made since his hospital stay in January to treat complications from cancer surgery. And this has sparked, the way this was handled, sparked intense criticism, even some calls for him to resign. Republicans zeroed in on the fact that Austin was in the hospital for three days before President Biden and the White House even learned about his status. And they're saying it shows his lack of influence on national security. Here's a little bit of the back and forth between, uh, well, here's a little bit of General, General Austin explaining what happened 
and talking about what's going to be happening differently in the future. Let me be clear. I never intended to keep my hospitalization from the White House or from anybody else. That's why we immediately instituted changes to the way that the authorities can be temporarily transferred to my deputy and to the way that notifications get made. I mean, I th- think about Listen to that. I mean, I thought that was a ridiculous statement. He's saying, essentially, I didn't intend to keep this a secret. That's why we changed the protocol. Well, if you didn't attempt to keep this a secret or if you weren't planning on trying to keep this a secret, wouldn't the prudent thing have done, wouldn't the prudent thing have been to just change the protocol prior to you going to the hospital? And again, I'm not trying to pick on General Austin here. Of everything, of everyone that's in the Biden administration right now, I, you know, I don't know that he's the biggest problem, honestly. So I'm not trying to pick on him here, but th- this explanation is, it makes no sense. Look, we all make mistakes, and maybe this is his mistake, but this is a pretty big mistake. I think this says a lot about his judgment. Let me be clear. I never intended to keep my hospitalization from the White House or from anybody else. That's why we immediately instituted changes to the way that the authorities can be temporarily transferred to my deputy and to the way that notifications get made. Congressman Jim Banks gave him a very, very hard time on this, and I think rightly so. Uh, Congressman Jim Banks, Republican of Indiana. Mr. Secretary, help us get this straight. At what point during your hospital stay... Did you or your staff decide that the president should know about your hospitalization? As I understand it, my chief of staff uh, contacted uh, the national security advisor and advised him that I'd been hospitalized on the 4th of uh, of January. At what point during your stay was the 4th of January? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. How long into your stay was that? Well, uh, as we've uh, pointed out, as has been pointed out earlier, I, uh, days, I was admitted days to the hospital after you were hospitalized? on the 1st of January. Right. Okay. Um, yes or no, did you tell your staff not to inform the president, anyone on your staff? I never told anyone not to inform uh, the president, the White House, or anyone else about my hospitalization. Okay, so the 30-day the review summary uh, lays a lot of blame at the... And, you know, they go on... Um, Congressman Michael Waltz slammed General Austin for holding himself to a different standard than the rest of the American people. What do we mean by that? Well, Congressman Waltz noted that the Marine Commandant General Eric Smith had a medical incident in November, in uh, October. It was a heart attack, and he informed the relevant parties. Michael Waltz said, "Quote." My teenage daughter knows to tell her supervisor if she's not going to work. The American people, truck drivers, bartenders, know they have to tell their boss or they get fired. But you've held yourself to a different standard, and that's unacceptable. I think he's right. I think he's right. If I have a medical incident where I can't make it to work for three days, who do you think the first person I'm calling outside of my wife is? It's it's the powers that be here. I don't know if I would call the owner of the network or the operations director, but I, I would call I, someone to let them know I wasn't coming into work. And yet the Secretary of Defense isn't doing that? I, I, this, I don't think, is a partisan issue. I, I'm not picking on... I don't even know if General Austin is a Democrat. He, he might be you know, not in any party. A lot of people that have worked their way up through the military ranks 
tend to not register with the party. So it's not because he's part of a Democratic administration. I, you know, I'm an independent. I voted for plenty of Democrats. This is something that should bother every American and should be considered totally unacceptable. Here's more of uh, Congressman Jim Banks and General Austin. Are you surprised the president didn't call for your resignation? I'm surprised, but are you surprised that he didn't call for your resignation? The president has expressed, expressed full faith and confidence in me. So you're not surprised that he didn't call for your resignation. Is it typical that the president would go three days without talking to his secretary of defense? Is that typical or is that a regular posture? Do you usually go days without talking to the commander? I mean, that can happen. It depends on if, whether or not the president's uh, on, on, uh, on travel, if I'm on travel. Uh, there are times when we, we do go days without direct communication. So the, the big issue for me here is either the president is that aloof or you are irrelevant. Again, maybe he was doing a little showmanship there. I think it's a good point. You remember what a big issue it was in that Rolling Stone piece when they found that uh, President Obama was barely talking to General McChrystal, who at the time, I believe, was the top general in all of Afghanistan. It was a major scandal. You know, it's it's interesting what was a scandal in the pre-Trump era. Uh, President Obama once gave a speech in a brown suit. That was a scandal. If, forget about it. The Trump era, everything else goes uh, goes out the window. But anyway, we were heavily immersed in three wars, basically. The Ukraine war, the Israel-Gaza war, and what's happening in Yemen with the Houthis. And, you know, on January 4th, you had a strike on Iranian proxies in Iraq, which occurred while General Austin was still in the hospital. I don't think these guys should go that long without talking with one another. To Congressman Banks's point, does that mean he's irrelevant? Curious if you saw any of the hearing or if you saw any coverage of the hearing. I'd love to hear from you, 800-848-9222, particularly if you differ from my perspective on this, which is I find his behavior totally unacceptable and I found the explanation really lacking. Am I being too tough on him? Let me know what you think. 800-848-9222. Additionally, last night I did watch the free and equal presidential debate. Um, I was trying to think as I was watching it if I was glad that I didn't go in person and I watched it online. I think I would have liked it more if I went in person on, I think I would have enjoyed it more and maybe got a little more out of it if I went in person. But ultimately, I was happy that I didn't go uh, because, one, there was really no candidate there, and I'm going to try and get all these candidates on the show. There was really no candidate there that reflected my values and my beliefs. I really think they were lacking a centrist populist candidate, someone like a Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was invited to participate in the debate and chose not to for whatever reason. There were two libertarian candidates there, <clears throat> uh, Chase Oliver and Lars Mapstead. There was uh, there were two Green Party candidates there, uh, Jill Stein and uh, Claudia De La Cruz. And then there was uh, a candidate named, uh, no, excuse me, um, 
uh, the the other Green Party candidate was Jill Stein and Jasmine Sherman, but she's a self-identified socialist. And then uh, there was a woman who was actually the Socialist Party candidate, uh, Claudia Dela Cruz. And they all want to come on the show. And Jill Stein, I had thought we might get on today, uh, but I'm told that uh, she's going to come on next week. I thought it was interesting for a few reasons. One, these candidates were very interested not in attacking one another, not in getting one-liners out there. They were interested in talking about issues. It was also interesting in how much all these candidates agreed on. The Libertarians agreed with the Greens and the Socialists on issue after issue. Immigration issues, um, issues related to foreign policy, issues related to the criminal justice system, issues related to drugs. And so I hate to say it because I'm glad that Free and Equal, which uh, put this debate on, and you can watch the whole video at freeandequal.org. I'm glad they did this. I'm glad they invited all the candidates. But it was a little boring because the candidates agreed on everything. Not everything, but a lot of things. Um, I thought they all did an, an okay job presenting their point of view. But there was no candidate that I watched in this debate that said, oh, yeah, I, I would vote for that candidate. The candidate that I thought performed the best in the debate, and it's not necessarily a surprise since she's run for president twice before, was Dr. Jill Stein. The only real – so I was I was happy that I didn't go, but I think I would have paid closer attention if I was there in person, if that makes sense. So I think the candidate that uh, – the only moment of acrimony in the whole debate was from a heckler. At the beginning, at the very beginning, you had a heckler. I think he was with the People's Party, which is a party made of former Bernie Sanders supporters. And I, I couldn't make out what he was saying, but they they basically had security escort him out. Uh, Thank you. Know what I mean? And y'all cover up with the elites. You know what I mean? Jill Stein, I want to. Excuse me. I hope we can have a discussion. It's disgusting. What's happening? Right, RFK, where you at? Push me out. Go ahead. So thank you. Uh, security's taken care of. We don't allow that in the room. So I wasn't sure who the the um, that heckler was, but it sounded like he was associated with the People's Party. You know, there is nobody, there is no national radio talk show host in the country that has been more associated with the third party movement and electoral reform than me. I was a little surprised they didn't ask me to be a part of this debate. They had a few journalists there and the head of free and equal Christina Tobin, who wants to come on this program as well. But I thought it was interesting. If you're interested in learning more about issues, especially if you're, I mean, some of them are Jasmine Sherman and Claudia de la Cruz, both self-identified socialists. They're so far to the left that they make Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez look like Ronald Reagan. And I'm not even joking about that. Um, so I I didn't feel like that any of them were challenged on any of their issues. I would have liked to have seen a debate where candidates that differed from one another could ask really interesting follow-up questions based on differing points of view. But there really didn't seem to be that many differing points of view. There seemed to be differing priorities, but not necessarily differing points of view. Here was uh, oh, one of the libertarian candidates. I think it was uh, Chase Oliver who was talking about uh, nuclear power. Uh, Jill Stein was not having it. Jill Stein was totally against nuclear power. And this is going to be one of the issues that I'm going to ask her about when she uh, comes on this show.
on nuclear, it's really important to understand that without enormous public subsidies, nuclear would not exist. Nuclear is dangerous, dirty, extremely expensive, uh, and cannot survive without uh, public subsidies, and it's also uninsurable. And the reason nuclear plants are not being built is because they wind up being huge holes in the ground, which cost uh, billions of dollars. So nuclear is really not an option. That was her response, I guess, to what one of the other libertarians was saying about his his view. Uh, Chase Oliver, I think it was, was um, we need to basically stop subsidizing all energies. Don't pick winners and losers. Have you know nuclear try to do its thing, ease up on regulations a little bit, let them all do their thing. But the fossil fuel industry shouldn't be getting all these subsidies from the government. And uh, he was a little bit of Chase Oliver. This is him talking about Portugal's drug decriminalization. So uh, a great thing that libertarians always talk about is wanting to end the drug war. And there's a fantastic country in Europe that can actually bear that. Uh, That is the nation of Portugal. They used to have the highest IV drug use in the continent of Europe. Because of this, they had huge rates of HIV and hepatitis. And what they decided to do is instead of fighting a crackdown drug war like we do in the United States, they decriminalized all drugs. They destigmatized people using drugs. So uh, if you want to get help, there's access and avenues to get help for addiction. Uh, and, and also it destigmatizes use so that if you fear that you have an unquality product, for instance, if you're a user of drugs and you fear fentanyl, you can take it to a pharmacist. They'll test it for you for a small fee and you can know the quality of the product you're using. Not that I want anybody to use heroin, but I want people to stop dying of overdoses due to fentanyl being mixed into heroin. The Another Libertarian candidate was there. I guess both of these guys are seeking the Libertarian nomination. Lars Mapstead. I didn't think he performed as well as Chase Oliver, but he said, and he made a point that I agree with, that the government is in cahoots with corporations. I think I've uncovered a new rig system, listening to all my panelists here. The government is doing a piss-poor job of taking care of people and of protecting people from harms that are corporations. And why is that? That is because the government, the Congress essentially, bros out corporations with tax code. With the tax code, they're able to give favors uh, to the rich and to the elites, and, the, and then those corporations are basically in cahoots with our government. The other Green Party candidate, uh, in addition to Jill Stein, and I think Jill Stein, you'd have to say, is a, a heavy favorite, but you never know with the Green Party because they're so they're so uh, wacky, and I mean that in the best possible terms. She, Jasmine Sherman wants to give land back to American Indians and all sorts of people that have been exploited. In America, police solve less than 4% of crime. But if they did the way, solve a I'm crime... I'm not sure if that's accurate. I was wondering that because I was listening to that and I wasn't going to fact check everything any candidate said. But when she said that, the police solve less than 4% of crimes, I was wondering, is that accurate? Because it doesn't seem like it could be possible that that, that is an accurate statistic. But um, I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Less than 4% of crime. But if they did solve a crime, let's say you bought a stolen car, they would make you give the stolen property you purchased back. We need to give land back. My platform provides people with guaranteed housing because we give the land back. That means no rent, no mortgage. We can't just say, we're going to give indigenous people sovereignty and then not. We're not going to just say, we're going to give indigenous people their federal lands. They need more than that. They want all of their stolen property back. And uh, the uh, socialist candidate, Claudia De La Cruz, said, not surprisingly, the biggest problem in the country is capitalism. 
end capitalism before it ends us. I mean, it is the basis and the foundation of this country to dominate, to have control, to have hegemony over the rest of the world. U.S. imperialism thrives on that. And so BRIC is not the problem. U.S. imperialism is. That is the problem. There you have it. So that was my take on the debate. I uh, I wish there were more points of view presented. That's a debate where I would have loved to have seen Robert F. Kennedy Jr. participate. But I applaud Free and Equal for doing it. And I think the more Joyce voices and the more choices people have, the better. Because if there's one thing that's clear, it's people are looking for alternatives. Uh, at least a lot of people are looking for alternatives to Trump and Biden. All right, 800-848-9222. Jerry is in New Jersey. What's on your mind, Jerry? Yeah, hi, Frank. Um, I think that uh, first I just want to say something about uh, Bonnie Willis and uh, Nathan Wade. I think that uh, sometimes people just have differences of opinion and people see things differently, and we have to respect them a little bit too. Uh, We have to hope and pray that Trump... uh, that it gets dismissed the case, not only them removed, but we should hope that Willis and Wade both have a happy life going forward. I mean, sometimes the whole society dumps down on people right. a little sure. too hard. Sure. So that's one thing I wanted to say. Now, on Austin, the same thing on General Austin to a degree. Look, what if General Austin actually reported to uh, the people that are actually in charge running the place. And it's not that it's nefarious. Maybe Biden is just not up to it. And that's just the way it is. And and he just can't do it. Right. But and what, so, what they're saying, Jerry, is that nobody in the West Wing knew, not the president's chief of staff, not the national security advisor. They're saying nobody knew. But maybe the people running the country aren't really in the West Wing. And maybe that's the agreement that's going on. Maybe it really is someone else or some other faction that is not actually located right there. All right, well, I, I, I certainly think that's a problem as well, if that's the case. 800-848-9222. The lovely Lisa is in Connecticut. You know, Lisa, an e- uh, somebody emailed me the other day. Uh, they sent me your, your Instagram and your picture, and I guess from your days as a beauty queen, and they said, this is Lisa in Connecticut who calls your show all the time. Isn't she beautiful? You probably don't even know what, you, what she looks like. I said, I'm thinking to myself when I'm reading this email, does this guy really think I didn't uh, look up Lisa's Instagram page? Please. Please. Oh, God. So you got a lot of fans out there in our audience. Oh, well, and uh, we got Rocco's number for you. Matt Blaze is going to give it to you. Uh, after we air a phone call, he'll give it to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, thank you for everything, Frank. You're, you're really an inspiration in my life, like I told you. Um, thank you for your show, and thank you for everybody. Um, what I wanted to say to you is about the cat situation, okay? Mm-hmm. Shadow, you know, I crate trained him like a dog, okay? So, and, and of course, mom is a singer and, and everything. He will literally, like, meow to let me know and communicate when he wants food, what I have to do. Like, if I put, like, just a little bit of wet food and I don't put the greenies in, he'll tell me to put the greenies in. <laughs> wow. And did you also know that um, your cat, if you 
if you are really, really connected with them, they could kind of be psychic. I have a little story. So I had um, my ex-boyfriend, right? He bought him a little tiny soccer ball. And I couldn't find a soccer ball anywhere, right? I was always looking for the soccer ball. And then we were fighting. We got back together. And then I went over to go hang out with him, right? And then all of a sudden, when I came back from hanging out with him, the soccer ball appeared with shadow. Mm. So they have like a psychic connection to your owners. Like cats are really, really amazing. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree with you, Lisa. I, I don't disagree with you. You know, uh, someone I, I mentioned on the radio and then I showed it, uh, showed the physical result of this i mentioned that um that ed scratched me the other day when i was trying to do a radio appearance and someone said he knows you're trying to get rid of him that's what it's all about and i honestly think there may be something to that Uh, i think maybe he does know what's up thanks for the call lisa 800-848-9222 gnome laden's here we're going to talk to him in a bit dorothy is in alabama hi dorothy hi and you were talking about the death penalty issue earlier and uh about i had trouble trying to find a vein for this to personally and trying to put mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. And we had that problem over here, too. There was uh, Eugene Smith. I was tired of seeing his face pop up. They were trying to find a vein on him. They usually, you know, I guess they call it a experimental. He was the guinea pig for the, the gas, you know, right, the new right. uh, method. Uh, yeah. And it was said, uh, some people were saying, oh, there was some were, he, uh, <laughs> there was trouble. It was watched. No, not really. I mean, he was fighting it. He was trying not to breathe and, you know, pulling against the, the struggling with the restraints. That's what he was doing. So My, my view, know. though, is, uh, Dorothy, why not just give them barbiturate pills? Well, that, that happens, too. We have lethal dose of phenobarbital. Also, another thing you can do, you have trouble finding a vein, why not go for the juggler? Get a head brush, man. You can find it right there. Stick it in his neck, you know. Um, I mean, Oklahoma, they... Tried to find a vein on someone's leg, and they got into someone like that last year. I heard that that would happen. But did you know, did you know there's some firing squads also? Yes, um, I I did know that actually. Idaho, and I, yeah, go, go ahead. Idaho, sorry. Yeah, Idaho actually they have that provision, uh, but they haven't went ahead with protocol concerning that issue or uh, the facility, like where and you know to do that. <laughs> but yeah. Um, uh, North Carolina used it. Actually, Utah did in 2010. They used the firing squad. South Carolina uh, you, it has it legal as well. Yeah, yeah. They, they, what they do, they get five shooters, and one person gets a blank, and nobody knows who has the blank. And four, and they get a target, they put it over the heart, and, you know, that, that's it. I mean, uh, maybe somebody should get, get a, uh, I don't know, pick what, what they want. Uh, well, actually, yeah, uh, the electric chair. I, I think, you know, um, you know, not maybe about 15, 20 years ago, someone did actually pick the uh, death by firing squad I don't remember what the rationale was I uh, I hear you I just think when we're when we're talking about botched executions and trying to find a vein after eight times it seems to me like all this can be avoided by giving them the same drugs that the states that have legalized physician assisted suicide give their patients it's quick it's foolproof well not, I guess foolproof it works uh, it's relatively painless you don't have to worry about looking for veins I don't know Understand why they don't go that route, uh, Dorothy. It sounds like you know the death penalty very well. I'm not going to mess with you, believe me. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Tommy is on the throughway. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Frank. Good morning, man. 
Hi. Hey, um, you were talking about um, you know General Austin before. Um, Kill me yesterday had a retired general on specifically to talk about Austin, and what this guy was saying that Austin was like millimeters over the, the truth line in in what he was saying. There there are already um, procedures in place, so Austin talking about aiding procedures. This general was saying is nonsense. Oh, I, I think you're. I think um, I, I don't remember who that was. I think it might have been Keith Kellogg. Yeah, I don't, but I don't but, I, but I think he's exactly right. I mean, I, I think this was. I mean, there's a reason this was such a big deal. And I've interviewed a lot of military guys on this show: uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, Colonel Daniel Davis, and both of them said that this was totally unacceptable. So it's not as if this was permissible. And then they changed it to make it impermissible after this happened. This is crazy. I mean, this is really, if we weren't living in this drama where every day there's 900 crazy things that happen, presidents getting charged with crimes, sons of presidents getting charged with crimes, prosecutors of presidents sleeping with their special prosecutors and paying with uh, paying them $700,000. If this was a normal era in American history, this would be not forgotten about after a week which is what I almost feel like it was, this would be a major scandal for some time. And yet, aside from me, I didn't hear any other radio show. Well, you mentioned Kilmeade, who does a great show. But I didn't hear any other radio show really spending much time on it in the last 24 hours, at least not that hearing yesterday. I'm glad you mentioned that, Tommy. Thank you. Noam Layden is here. We'll talk to him straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Twenty-two minutes until my weekend begins, and really, honestly, my weekend is just more chores, right? I'm just gonna sleep for two hours, take my son to school, sleep for another four hours, pick him up from school, then uh, do another errand, and then cook dinner. I mean, you know, it's just it's work. It's just another type of work, and it's during the day instead of at night. Uh, with in some cases a much smaller audience. Someone uh, who. It knows exactly what that's like, has just wandered into the studio. Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other 
side of midnight and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hey, Noam. Good morning, Frank. Uh, let me thank our owner of WABC, John, for handing me this story that I was not aware of. Mm. You know, and I always like when people do that because there's only so much news I can get in my brain in That's the course right. of a day. But this is interesting what is going on. Healthcare providers across the nation, some of them, are really in a bad way today because one of these third-party providers who takes the insurance payments, processes them, and then hands out the money, distributes the money, has been under a cyber attack for now maybe nine days. And so what's happened is is that money that's normally processed from a customer to the doctor to the insurance back to the people who deserve to get the money has essentially stopped now. And so the money's not changing hands in the way it should. It also is affecting prescriptions. So normally what your doctor does when you go into the office is they'll say, okay, you need the pink pill, mm-hmm. okay? And they look over at their computer, they type in pink pill, it sends it off to your Walgreens, you go pick up your Walgreens, all everybody's good. That system is down for many hospitals and doctors' offices today. So they have to call it in. So that's probably the smallest part of this problem. The bigger part of this problem is is that money's not being processed. And so for big uh, hospitals and organizations, it hasn't affected them yet. But for small doctors' offices who rely on those reimbursements to pay their payroll to their doctors – they say they're really in trouble now. Nine days in, they say. Nine days in? Nine days in, the money is not coming in. It was initially, but it had slowed to almost none now to a trickle. And this uh, company called Change Healthcare, which does this uh, providing of these services, says, uh, yeah, we're under, they've admitted they're under a cyber attack. They've disconnected these impacted systems. So it's stopped the flow of some of this cash. And uh, these doctor's offices are telling some of their patients, if this goes on a little while longer, they will have to close their practices because they won't be able to pay their nurses and their doctors. Now, it may not get to that point. And uh, Change Healthcare is saying they're doing everything they can to maybe uh, it's a ransomware attack. That's what I was just going to ask. What's the the goal here? They. They even know who it is that's attacking them, and uh, I, we don't know if, if they've asked for money. We can only assume that they have because the idea of a ransomware is that you're asking for right. a ransom. But uh, So we don't know any of that. The authorities are not telling us much. Uh, Change Healthcare says they're all over this. They hope it'll be done soon, but they can't give us a timeline of when it'll happen. I uh, Obviously, this is just horrible, and I think this ought to be a, a real priority for the country, and, I, and I've read a lot of interesting things about how to combat this, and it seems like we're woefully inadequate on it, but given everything, given the circumstances, given the patients affected, the healthcare providers affected, if you're change healthcare, don't you just have to pay the ransom and be done with this? They never want to say that they're paying the ransom Mm -hmm. because that only encourages these ransomware attacks to happen, right? We went through this recently, and, you know, I follow a lot of these casinos pretty closely, and MGM got a ransomware attack, Mm -hmm. and so did a bunch of the other casinos. All the other casinos paid the ransomware attack. They they paid the ransom, and then MGM didn't pay, and they shut them down. And they lost a lot of business, and first of all, a lot of money in, in lost business, but a lot of people just rebooked at some of these other hotels in Vegas, Atlantic City, and elsewhere that did pay it. So it really... Uh, you hate to say it, but you hate to reward these 
cyber terrorists, but you, given what you just described, you have to pay it. Yeah, and so what this uh, ransomware attack is telling this change healthcare is that they will put up all their information online, uh, patient information, all kinds of sensitive information they have. They'll put it up if they don't get whatever money they are asking for. Awful. We don't know. It could be Awful. some crazy amount of monkey money, monkey money, because this is a huge company, Change Healthcare. So we'll watch this. Let's hope they can sort this out before those small providers, those small doctors are affected. The uh, tightening of economics of the TV news industry. Have you followed this story at all? Yes. So on the local news level, it used to be one of the great jobs you could have to be a TV anchor, a meteorologist, a reporter. But the fact is, people are not watching local TV news anymore. So those salaries and those jobs, many of them have disappeared. If you tune in to watch your like five or six o'clock news, by the way, not a lot of people are doing that anymore. Right. The money has dried up and they just don't have as many reporters. And those people are not making the coin the payday they once did. Now it is affecting the big networks as well, even though they're making these solid profits of Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. The eyeballs are not there like they once were. Every year, more and more people cut the cord to cable, and then they can potentially on their own stream these services, but a lot of people don't. They say, hey, once they cut the cord and they don't have MSNBC, Fox, or CNN, or whatever the other ones are, they say, you know what? (laughs) I don't miss not having these news networks. And it's terrible for the economics of these networks. And so now what they're starting to do is cut these huge paydays of some of their biggest stars. And what's interesting is we're starting to get the numbers of what these big stars make. So let's even start at the small level. Uh, CBS news anchor Nora O'Donnell, she took a pay cut back in 2022. In 2022, she was making $8 million a year. Now, if you're and, not- and she's anchoring their premier news show, right? CBS Evening News. It's a half-hour show where essentially she plays traffic cop. Right. I mean, she the, doesn't do a whole lot yeah, of Yeah, this was Dan Rather's role, this was Walter Cronkite's role, briefly Katie Couric. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you watch it, you read a couple sentences, throw it to a correspondent, read a couple sentences. through. It is a great gig. So she said she went from $8 million and they came to her and they said, we have uh, laid off so many members of our news department because, again, the economics are not there. And she took a $4 million pay cut. So she's now making $4 million oh, a year no. doing the evening news. So, you know, if, if you see her, we may want to start a GoFundMe yeah, for her. My goodness. <laughs> really hard up. But then we're starting to see some of these other salaries, which she may now- have to join OnlyFans with Drea DiMatteo. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, now we're starting to see some of these other salaries, and really they're unbelievable. And I think you'll be shocked by some of them. So you have uh, Anderson Cooper, Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tapper, Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace making uh, $8.5 million a year over at CNN. Over at Fox, that's where the money's real big because it's the most successful of the news networks. Sean Hannity estimated to make about $25 million a year. Just Uh, from TV, not even including what he does on radio. Yeah, radio, I think he actually makes more doing radio. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Rachel Maddow, who is the... For sure, the far and the way, the star at MSNBC. She decided she wanted to cut back, not beyond five days a week. So now she does one day a week. And she's reportedly making $30 million a year for that one day a week. But doesn't she do other things also? She does a podcast. Or something? Yeah, she does a podcast. She produces specials. Uh, Joe Scarborough, who would argue that maybe he's the star at MSNBC, (laughs) uh, when he apparently heard, this is the rumor, that she was making $30 million a year, he asked for $30 million in one cent so he could be making more than her. 
Yeah. My goodness. So the network executives, this is what we hear. Have you the- ever done that? Have you ever gotten wind? And, you you know, you've worked at a lot of different radio stations over the years, you know, I'm sure in varying budgets and in varying size cities. Um, have you ever gotten wind of what a peer makes and then use that to uh, kind of bolster your own salary negotiations? You know, what I've learned, and this is obviously true in TV as well, is the salaries are just wildly drastic from sure. one worker to the next. Like, I feel like if you're an accountant, you kind of know, okay, the guy next to me is making 80 grand and this guy's making 100 grand. In radio and TV, right. it is That's not right. true That's at exactly all. Like, you, right. Frank, for all I know, could be making $7 million a year and I'm making 10000 Right. You know, it is funny. It is one of those things where, and they passed a law in New York where I guess you have to disclose the salaries of open positions. But, you know, you could talk to an on air personality at a radio station and and not know if they're making 50 grand or $600,000. And there's not that much of a talent disparity between the fifty grand person and the six hundred thousand dollars. You know, I played uh, a sidekick to Geraldo Rivera. Right, I remember that. On yeah, his great national show. Sh- I enjoyed that show. Oh, thank you. So I did that for four or five years, and then uh, he was unceremoniously dumped from the show by a previous company. Yeah, not, yeah nothing. Not, not, yeah, nothing to do with the company. Yeah, yeah, they would of course kept him. So uh, then they published his salary. Now, you never know if it's 100% correct, but it's probably in the ballpark. And when I saw his salary, I was like, wait a minute. I was making this. And he was, now granted, he was Geraldo Rivera, and he was making that. That's very funny. So I've had a couple moments like that where I'm like, wow, okay. That's a huge difference. My goodness. Um, So uh, anything else on the salary news anchor front that we need to be aware of? Yeah, so now this is the word is that. All these salaries are on the table because, again, this money is not like is there what like it was even uh, five years ago. And you look five years into the future, they say it'll be less so. The eyeballs won't be there for the networks. So, you know, don't feel bad for somebody who's making 30 million who might be making 20 million dollars a year. But the idea of the news network star is slowly fading away. Interesting. Interesting. Well, oh. We wish them all the best. A similar dynamic is playing out in, I think, late night talk as well. You know, in the era of Johnny Carson and even in the early days of Letterman and Leno, those salaries were exorbitant. Now they're far from it. Yeah, they are, but they do have the social media component right, because nobody right, right. watches them in real time. They watch those 30, 60, 90 second clips sure. that are put up on TikTok, YouTube, wherever else. Right. All right. Well, anything else for us now? Uh, you no? have time for more? One, can... one more quickly. Okay, one, yeah. one more quickly is um, we're finding out that attention spans are getting smaller and smaller. Uh, there's been some re- research done at the University of California at Berkeley that talks about. Uh, what people's average attention span are, as you can imagine, with the Internet, phone, everything like that, it has changed drastically from even five years ago where the average attention span that you could concentrate on something was about 70 seconds, right? I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know. I, 70 seconds seems kind of long. Uh, now they're saying the average attention span here in 2024 is more like 44 seconds for the average American. That's because you have so many things uh, setting you off, right? All the alerts on your phones, uh, maybe the babies cried. Things happen where all of a sudden you're concentrating on something and then you're just taken away from it really quickly. A lot of it's the phone. Everybody's got 100 alerts coming in on their phone. So you're in the middle of a task, let's say even at work. All of a sudden the phone dings. You look at it. You're like, oh, uh, you know, somebody's died. Or Richard Lewis died. Oh, let, let me go look that up. Now you go down that wormhole of Richard Lewis. Another alert goes off that says there's a fire down the street from you. Oh, okay, now I'm doing that. And it's really playing havoc on people's minds. They call it popcorn, popcorn brain. Popcorn brain, yeah, right. Is, yeah. 
Uh, I mean, just as you were talking, I stopped paying attention halfway through because I got a text yeah. message. Yeah, so, see, uh, you got a perfect happens. example. Have a good weekend, you Noam. And now you know the rest of the story. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. You know, it's funny, what no, the story Gnome was uh, talking about, and I had seen that story about popcorn brain and about the incredible shrinking attention span. There are even times when I'll post an article on my Facebook page and the response, someone will comment and say, oh, sorry, it's too long. And I, I think to myself, well, can't you just read it, you know, in chunks? And do you really have to comment that it's too long? I mean, if it's too long for you to read, just not read it. I mean, why do you need to comment that you, you're basically advertising your short attention span that you can't make it through a full article, most of which are not even that long, by the way. I just think it's such a curious thing that they take the time to write, oh, sorry, it's, it's too long. Hey, uh, if you're on Facebook, join our Facebook group. Uh, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano or just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio fans and haters and that's our discussion group about what we're doing on the show. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight by Stevie G and the Brain Busters, an instant classic if ever there was one. Hopefully you're up to something fun this weekend. I'm responsible for making dinner tonight, so I was already my wife was already warning me to stay away from some of the recipes that I had considered. She last Friday I made uh, like a peanut butter a, a, a spaghetti in peanut butter sauce or peanut sauce, and it was very simple. Right, very easy to make. Took takes twenty five minutes. The recipe was in the New York Times. is great, and then I found this recipe in the Daily News over the weekend, last weekend, and she said, "Okay, no, there's eight steps. There's way too many steps for you to screw up here. What you did last week, that's your lane. Just a little pasta, a little you know peanut butter, whatever else you put in there. That that's that. Think like that. It's two three steps. So I found this one pot recipe." for shrimp with broccoli that I may use. We'll see. All right. Without further ado, it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds at 800-848-9222. The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Fame! 
Lou. Melvin. Joaquin. Frank, I'm kind of disappointed that you're going through all these green guys and all these uh, communists. Robert. The size and reach of the federal government has gotten way out of control through officials that are unelected and destroying our lives and country. Neil. Frank, help me. How do I deal with the thought that they might cut your salary from $8 million to $4 million a year? Jeff. Jeffrey Deskovic was wrongfully convicted of rape and murder and exonerated. He's now an attorney that uh, sets the wrongfully convicted free. Please go to DeskovicFoundation.org. Des- Charles. Anyone can count and tell me how many seeds are in an apple. But who can tell me how many apples are in one seed? Cheech. The insanity in the city council needs to stop. New York City billionaires and multimillionaires like Mr. John Casamitidis must unite, find, promote, and financially support candidates to unseat many members of the city council. And that's the only way we're going to save this city. E. Frank. Yes, uh, you know, Mayor Eric Adams is a distrustful person when he sues your former employee, Molly, and then says that Curtis Lewa does not fight crime. Ham. Jerome Powell, Janet Yellen, and Gary Gensler all should be locked up. Wall Street is Fraud Street. Watch today. New York Community Bank is going down. It's going to drag everything down with it. Wall Street is corrupt. Check the stock market. Everything you invest goes down. Never- John. Is a moron. And that slams the lid on things for today. Hey, uh, I'll be back on Monday. Got some exciting stuff planned for next week and uh, some surprises along the way. Today we'll do our final Facebook Live video after doing them for seven straight days. Uh, Check it out, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. You can adjust your notifications to get a, a pop whenever I go live. Until we meet again, Frank Morano, good day.